series of messages called Bucket List. And, you know, we all know what a bucket list is pretty much. It's, uh, you know, things we would like to do or things we would like to accomplish before we die. And, uh, you know, whenever you talk to people about their bucket list, you saw some of the things that they say. Other popular ones were that I saw people, they said, we want to travel the world or we want to see, I want to see a, an active volcano. Uh, one that's strange to me is people say, I want to jump out of an airplane. And then another one is that I want to be debt-free. And that is something we're going to be talking about today. And whenever you begin to look at sort of the statistics on where we are financially, you kind of understand why that is on the bucket list of so many different people. Um, our nation, just some stats from 2015, our nation is uh, $19 trillion in debt. Uh, the average American's debt is $225,000 whenever you include their mortgage. Uh, credit card debt somewhere around like $15,000. And then I saw another stat that said 21.6 million Americans uh, between the ages of 18 and 31, because of economic situations, uh, they are living at home with their parents. So, you know, I look at that and I think, hey, I understand why there's so many people that on their bucket list, they think, I would love to be able to be debt-free. Makes a lot of sense to me. Well, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see a Scripture that deals with being debt-free. Now, it's not talking about being debt-free financially, but it's talking about us being debt-free concerning sin, concerning guilt. And that's another, I mean, that would be another incredible thing to have on your bucket list to know that I am, that I am free, I am debt-free from anything that I've ever done wrong in my past. Now, the question is, well, how does it happen? And so today, we're going to look just with one verse. We're going to look in 1 John chapter 1 verse number nine. And so if you have your Bible and you're interested in looking at that one verse, that's where we'll be. And I just want to share with you just briefly the background of this text that we're going to read. Uh, the background of this text is that there were some teachers, and we call them false teachers, who were saying that there's no such thing as sin. You live like you want to, it doesn't matter, it's not that big of a deal. That's why the preceding verse, in verse number 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, the Bible says you are deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in us. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal about me not believing that, that there's sin? You know, what, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is that, we, that means that we are stepping out of bounds, or we're stepping outside of guidelines that God has set up. And God says when you step out of bounds... Whenever you do things that are contrary to my leadership, contrary to what I say, God says there, there are, there's a price to pay for that. There are penalties that come with that. And so we need to acknowledge and understand there is such a thing as sin, and we've all sinned. The Bible tells us that in Romans 3.23, and in Romans 6.23, it says the price for sin is to be separated from God for an eternity. Now, I'm like anybody else. I don't want to be in debt. I'd like, to, I'd like to be or live a debt-free life. And the Bible today shares with us that that, is, that can happen, but it's a process. And so what is the process for debt-free living? Well, it begins with this. That process begins with confession. And that's what verse number 9 points out to us today. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Now, uh, John, the disciple John, wrote this book. And whenever you go through the Bible, these are, these are really just their letters that were written to different people. And so the question for me today was, well, who was John writing to when he said these words? And he was speaking to, to Christians, to people who were already followers of Jesus. Now, when I look at that, it's very easy to say, well, then why are Christians having to deal with or talk about forgiveness with God? Because I thought whenever you became a follower of Jesus, that God has already forgiven you. Yeah, he's forgiven you for your past, your present, and your future. So why do I need to keep on asking for forgiveness if I'm already a follower of God and he's already forgiven me? Now, in my mind, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. I would say, why would I need to ask for forgiveness again if I'm already covered by God's forgiveness? Well, I read what one theologian wrote, and I thought it made sense. He said, really, there are a couple of types of forgiveness. He said, the first kind of forgiveness is known as judicial forgiveness. And he said, and what, what that means for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it means when we entrust our lives to God and, and we confess our sins and we begin to follow him, then God judicially pardons us from the penalty of our sin. means that we are no longer going to be eternally separated from God because he's given us a pardon. But he said there's another kind of forgiveness that would be like parental forgiveness. And that is that as, as followers, if you're a follower of Christ, you know that you're not perfect. You, you know that you don't quit sinning. Now, you don't, you're, the goal is you don't sin as much and you're convicted, but you still sin. But whenever you sin, what happens is that we, we kind of mess up our relationship with God. And so God says that, that relationship needs to be restored. And so as believers, we need to come to God and acknowledge where we've sinned against him so that our communication line can remain intact. It would be like parental forgiveness. Let me give an example of this. Uh, for those of you who are parents, you'll, you'll understand this. Uh, I, have th I have three children. Now, no matter what my children do, no matter how they live, no matter where they go, they will always be my children. For better, for worse, my, mine and Emily's DNA is implanted in our children. They might not want to look like me, have the incredible athletic ability that I have, but they are always going to be my children. Now, they will always belong to me, but there are times when our relationship can get off track. And, and when that happens, it's, it's whenever they, believe it or not, there have been times when my children have actually been disobedient to me and Emily. Now, when that has happened which I can even think of yesterday. But when that has happened, Emily and I have to practice something in order to get them back on the right track. We practice discipline. And our children, if the communication line is going to get back where it should be, there needs to be an acknowledgement on their part. Hey, we've stepped outside of the boundary here, and now we want to rectify it. We want to be right with you again. Now, that is the kinds of forgiveness that God has. There is a judicial forgiveness, and there's a parental forgiveness. And so before that forgiveness begins to take place, we have to look at verse number 9. If debt-free living is going to occur, we follow the steps that we're given in this text. It says, if we confess our sins. And I'd like to start out by just paying attention to that very first word there. It is the word if. If we confess our sins. Now, now what does that mean? Well, to me it indicates, the word if indicates choice. 
It means that we have the opportunity, we have the decision to make whether or not we're going to be obedient to the leadership of God. It is a choice that we get to make. Now, the Bible points out choices all the time. As a matter of fact, in Joshua 24, 15, Joshua told the Hebrew people, he said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He said, you have a choice. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve yourself? Another example of this is in Romans 6.12. It says, therefore, you do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It means we have decisions to make. Now, you might say, well, what if I make the choice to move out of debt? What do I do? If I want to move out of debt with God, what do I do? Well, it says if, so you make a decision. What am I going to do? And the second part is this. It says we are to confess our sins. Now that word confess, it means to say the same thing as God does. It's not to look at our sin as, it's not that big of a deal. Hey, I just messed up a little bit. It's to look at our sin the way God does. You know how God looks at sin? He looks at sin as it's devastating. He looks at sin as, as it is something that separates us from him. And so sin, the confession, is an acknowledgement on our part. God, I understand that when I don't live as you've called me to live, God, is a, it is an offense to you. And so I want to confess that I might be made right with you. Now, let, let me share with you a story, or a, a, actually something I read in a journal I thought was interesting. It's about hand washing and about how important it is. Um, in, in 1818... The childbirth rate, mortality rate for mothers in childbirth was one out of every six mothers would die in childbirth. That's it's like astonishing, one out of every six. Now, there's a doctor named Simon Weiss who, who, was, who discovered, figured something out. Now, now this is it's a, little, a little strange, uh, gruesome a little bit, but hang with me. What he would do, what typical doctors would do during this day is in the morning, they would, they would work or they would do autopsies. And then after they would do that, they would go and work with mothers getting ready to give birth. And they didn't wash their hands. So what was the result of that? One in six mothers died with what, is no, what was known as childbirth fever. Dr. Simowice thought there's got to be something to that. And so after, in the morning, after, before he would go to work with the, the mothers, he would wash his hands. His mortality rate went from one in six to one in 50. And so he began to tell the other doctors, guys, we got to do something. He said, whenever, after you go, before you go to work with mothers, said, you've got to wash your hands. They thought he was crazy. And none of them would change. As a matter of fact, it took years before hand washing became something that was a regular practice among doctors. He told the doctor, he said, I'm not asking you to do anything earth-shaking. I'm simply asking you to wash your hands. And then I thought, you know, that's the same kind of idea with what our scripture tells us today. Scripture today is saying, listen, we're not asking you to do anything earth-shaking. We're just asking you to wash your hands. We're asking you to come before God and to say, God, I am confessing, I'm understanding that there are problems, there are, there's a disease of sin in my life, and Lord, I need to be washed from that. Because if we don't deal with it, it's like one in six mortality rate, except for with sin, it's one in one. As it destroys us. And so if we want debt-free living, it begins with confession and acknowledgement 
that we step outside of God's bounds at times in our lives. But then here's another part of the process involved in debt-free living, and that is, that is believing what God says. That is assurance in what God says. Again, in verse number 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I really believe this. I believe that one of the, one of the biggest struggles that people have in life is a struggle with guilt. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I will talk to people and they will begin, they will begin to share with me why, they, why, why their outlook in life is bleak, why they feel hopeless, and they will often, they'll, they'll point to the past and say, I remember when this happened in my life way back here. I remember whenever I did this in my life way back here. And all of us can identify with that in some way. We can all think of things that we've done where we think, man, I wish I would have never done that. We can all think of times whenever we have, whenever we have been, you know, mean or we've been cruel. And we think, man, if that ever came out publicly, I would be absolutely embarrassed. And then I read the Bible, and the Bible says God is willing to offer us forgiveness. Psalm 103.12 tells us what God does with our sin when we come to him. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Acts 3.19, I love this one. It says, therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be, two great words right here, so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Doesn't that sound good to you? I mean, whenever you really take time to think of that, God is willing, when you come to him in confession and trusting him, he said, I will take your sin, and I will wipe it out. Now, how can I believe that? Because what the Bible says today, it says because he is faithful and righteous. What's he faithful? What's God faithful to? God is faithful to his word. Whenever God says something, he's always true. He doesn't lie. Hebrews 6.18 tells us it's impossible for God to lie. Joshua 21.45 says that whenever God gives a promise, he will always keep it. So I don't know what, your, what, what kind of struggles you might have in your life or if you're even dealing with guilt in your life. But if you have guilt and struggles and you were weighed down by the sin in your life, I want you to understand something today. And that is that God has the power and the ability to wipe that guilt and that stain of sin out of your life. Now, how's that possible? Well, God's faithful, but he's also righteous. That word righteous, it means just. And one thing that's really easy to do when we think of God's forgiveness is to look at God's forgiveness and say, yeah, I screwed up there, but, but God will forgive me. You know, it's like God's like, ah, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. Guys, God is, when it says he's righteous, it means he's just. And so when there's something that has been broken, whenever there's been a boundary that has been broken, God doesn't just like forgive it and that's it. God steps in and he pays the debt that we owe. So, so our forgiveness that comes from God, it's not something that's free. Jesus paid for it on the cross. We're told this in 1 John 2, 1 through 3. It says, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. 
but not for ours, not, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. It says Jesus is our propitiation for sin. It's a big, it's kind of a big complicated word to me, but, but all it means is this. Jesus is our substitute. And so Jesus sees our sin, and Jesus says, I'm going to pay for your sin. I'm going to take your place. He says, you, you owe you owe a debt because of sin, but Jesus says, I'm going to pay it. And so what he did is he took our place on the cross, and he died for our sins that we might have freedom. So you know what that means? It means when you come to Jesus and you entrust your life to him, you're debt-free. That's what it means. It means that, that your sin has been paid for. Your sin has been erased. Now, that sounds good, but so many of us get in trouble in that we don't, we don't trust that. And so we allow our past sins, even the ones we bring before God and ask him for forgiveness, we continue to live in a way where we're still trying to pay it off. Where we still feel burdened by what we've done in our past and we can't, we can't let it go, even though Jesus says, I've already paid for it. You don't have to deal with it anymore. It's, it's done. You've been forgiven. You know, it'd be like if, if somebody paid your mortgage on your house, would it make sense for you to continue to pay your mortgage? Well, would you do that? that? That would be a no. You, you would not do that. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Because, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And yet many of us do that when it comes to forgiveness with God. Let me give an example. World War II ended in 1945 whenever the Japanese surrendered. Now what's interesting is 30 years later in 1975 there were some men who discovered a Japanese soldier still hiding out in caves because he had not gotten word that the war had ended. For 30 years he believed a war was still going on when it was actually over. Isn't that crazy? Now let me tell you something. 2,000 years ago, Jesus waged war against sin on the cross, and he won. And yet 2,000 years later, there are many of us who are still fighting the battle. But Jesus has already dealt with it. See, Jesus has, has erased sin from our lives when we repent and turn to him. That's what he does. Uh, we're told in Colossians 2.14, he erased the certificate of death, our debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. You see, debt-free living is something that, that is attainable because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's a process that begins with confession. It is believing in the assurance of Jesus' words. But it ends up with this, and that is it ends up with cleansing. Debt-free living comes about when there's a cleansing. In verse number 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, every one of us can think of, of different times in our lives where we think, I would like to do that particular event again. I'd like to have, you know, like a do-over. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? You know, I really screwed up back then, but I'd like to like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, if y'all remember that incredible movie, where you can go back and you can kind of like change history. Now, I still practice this in my own life. Uh, for those of you who play golf, we call them mulligans. 
Isn't that great? I mean, you walk up there, you hit a ball, and you're like, man, I don't like that one. And so you quickly grab your ball and re-tee. Now, a mulligan, and I believe you can take, what, Greg, like nine or ten a game? Uh, a mulligan is where you, you put the ball down, and you just and you hit the ball again as if you never hit a bad shot in the first place. You, 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 just, you, just, you just completely erase that. Now, that is the idea whenever the Bible says that you are cleansed from all unrighteousness, that is, it's a mulligan. It's as though you never hit a bad shot in the first place. Now, the Bible says we've all sinned. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But whenever we call out to God for a do-over, for forgiveness, and we repent, you know what God does? He erases it. He doesn't count it against you. Uh, Isaiah 118 says, Come, let us discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. Jesus is saying that when we come to him for forgiveness, acknowledge our sins, confess it to him, turn away from it, then he says, what I do is I take your stained, sinned life and I restore you to a place as though you are completely innocent. Now, how awesome is that? It's been wiped away. You're clean. On uh, Saturday evenings, I will watch sports during the day, and then I will sit down with Emily, and we have U-verse, and I will turn it to channel 1450, Property Brothers. Oh, So anyway... It's what you do when you love somebody. And so we'll watch Property Brothers. What they do is they, they and then there's another show, you, 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 flip, you, uh, what do you, it's a flipping house, I don't know what it's called. Um, anyway, so they change these houses. What they do is they buy property, and typically what they do is they go out and they look for this house that looks like, just like a piece of garbage, Right? I mean, it is a wreck. There's, you know, there's, you know, there's like rats in the place. They have like, you know, how do you like our countertop? It's made out of cardboard. You know, it's just, you know, it's like falling apart. And these guys come in and they say, all right, now here's what we can do. We can take this and we can totally change it. And they'll take a house that they paid like, you know, like $30,000 for. And then they'll do like six to eight weeks of renovation. You come back and the house is immaculate. I mean, it's got, you know, marble sinks. You know, it's got, you know, the, the floors are these beautiful hardwood floors. And they show the before and after pictures. You know, before, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just an absolute dump. Afterwards, people are like, okay, you bought it for, you, bought it for, you know, $35,000, but now we're going to pay $700,000 for it. You're like, what? In, I need to get into this game. It's unbelievable. But what they do is they take something that is broken and they restore it. And, and the past value, the past worth has nothing to do with its worth for today because it's been fixed. That's what Jesus does. Because he takes our lives that are broken, that have foundations that are shifting, that has frames in our lives that are rotting, and he cleans it out. And he builds a beautiful home with our lives. But before that happens, he has to come and live within you. He has to be your general contractor. 
He has to be the one who has charge of your life. And you see, that happens whenever we open up our lives to him and we take what he says. We talked about assurance a while ago. We take what he says in this book and we hang on to it and we bring it into our lives and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust what you say. He will begin to do a work in your life and he'll change you. That's why David wrote in Psalm 119.11, he said, Thy word, Scripture, God, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Almost every person I know wants a do-over at some part or some point in their life. Guys, it's not going to happen unless you allow Jesus to move in your life. Because it's, it's only him who can bring restoration. It's only him who can rebuild your life. It's only him who pays for the debt of sin that you and I've committed. It's only him. So how's that process of debt-free living begin? It begins with confession. It's having the assurance of God's word, and it's allowing Jesus to bring cleansing into our lives. Now the question is, do you desire to be debt-free? I think that's pretty much on everybody's bucket list. Debt-free. Can you imagine what you could do if you were debt-free? Every bit of your income would be disposable income. That'd be great. Well, let me tell you something. Your life... Your life right now can be completely lived in freedom because Jesus has paid your debt. He's paid your debt. Will you trust him? Will you trust him with your life?